0: So this time three years ago, there was absolutely nothing going on in this room. In fact, it was quiet. Uh, There were no donuts. There was no smell of coffee. There was no children's programming going on. There was certainly no music. The lights weren't on. But then we started something about two and a half or so years ago in November of 2014. And I have learned so much through that process. And I continue to learn on on a weekly, if not a daily basis, about what it means to be a pastor and a church planter, Um, as well as my continuing roles of being a husband and a father and an employee. And, And so I've picked up a few things along the way. And I had the privilege this week of spending half a day with three guys who are in New England, and they are representing three different geographies, and they're hoping in the next six to 12 months to start a church. And I was asked to talk with them a little bit, Because now that we're two and a half years down the road and about three or four years all said and done with the process of starting a new church, I guess they felt that I had a few things that I could share with them. And so I went through the curriculum, which was good. They had it right in front of them. But it was my job to kind of give some stories to illustrate the curriculum of how I've seen the curriculum come to life in my life. And it was so fun to get to to talk to these guys. One of them is going to be starting a church uh, near the campus of University of New Hampshire. One of them is starting a church in Leicester, Massachusetts, and the other one is starting a church in Worcester, Massachusetts. And what was so fun as I got to speak with them, was like, they're like taking notes. It, it, it's like, I'm dropping these massive truth bombs on these guys and they're like really excited. And I'm just sharing our story, because that's all I've got. I only know what I've experienced. But to these guys that I was able to spend a few hours with, it sounded like I was telling their future. It sounded like I was opening the door to their tomorrow, to their next six months, to their next year, and was able to give them some insights on stuff that they were passionately interested in, that honestly, you're not going to hear the kind of stuff that I share with those guys unless you know someone who's started a church. And so it it was fun, and it was also rewarding because they were very engaged. They were asking all the right questions. They were writing this down. Because they have a call of God on their life to do something that they haven't done yet, but I have, and so it, it feels to them like i 'm a voice from their future, saying, "You know you kind of want to think about this and you kind of want to head that way and and it was a very uh helpful time and and I made some new friends, and it was very cool once upon a time, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and they were in the temple and i it, it's If you read through the New Testament a few times, and if you spend some time in the scripture, my guess is is that your understanding of who Jesus was begins to change, even as mine did. And honestly, there's just some passages that you read, and you're like, I think Jesus is kind of cranky. Like, I, I think he's kind of upset about some stuff, because he's just, he's saying some things, and he's looking at people in the eye, and he's telling them things that I would never say to people especially people in authority, and, and, and it just sounds like he's, he's irritated, and it probably was because he was. Well, this passage that we're going to be looking at today in Matthew chapter 24 comes on the heels of this time where he was in the temple, and he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, and he says, woe is you, seven times, and basically, if you were, it's called the seven woes, and it's like, it's like seven warnings. Like, you guys are not awesome, and here's seven reasons why. And to help you memorize the reasons why I think you're not awesome, I'm going to start each statement out with, woe is you. So just to kind of help you get the primer, the pump prime. And and if you were to summarize Jesus' problems with these guys, it's because they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. That they're pretty on the outside, but ugly on the inside. That they're hypocrites. That's basically what he's telling these guys in seven different ways. So it's very memorable and And, as they're leaving the temple, the apostles are kind of like, uh, "You just really took a chunk out of the religious leaders of this nation you know we we're, we're kind of wondering what the future holds for us as a nation when it comes to our practice of faith because you just you just really dropped it on these guys and and, and so." Hey, You know, if the leadership is a little wonky, and if the leadership for our future is not going to be as amazing as we're hoping it's going to be, because you just tore into these guys, look at these buildings. Look at this temple. You know, the good news is, Jesus, these guys, they're already kind of old. In another 15, 20 years, they're going to be dead anyways. We'll get some new leaders. And look, we have this beautiful temple so that some new leaders can come in, and so that we're going to continue to be a nation where God is honored and, and obviously, we're going to have a role in leading the nation forward when it comes to matters of faith. And then, and then Jesus says this, yeah, no, the temple's going to get knocked down. And, and so at this point, Peter has a problem. And we've been, we've been looking at the scripture for the past couple of months now. And next week is going to be the final week of Peter and the Problem Child series. It, because the thesis has been this, that when we take a look at the ministry of Jesus, Peter's problems create a pathway to the mission of the church. It's one thing to read the New Testament, but it's another to answer the question, so what? What does that mean to me today? And we have found that over the past couple of months, that as we look at the problems that Peter had with Jesus, he asks the questions that we would want to ask. And then Jesus responds, and we've been moving forward. So we're going to pick up the narrative in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Most of the text is on the screen this morning. Not every passage is on the screen. So if you have your Bibles or your apps or whatever, feel free to get that out. So uh, Jesus has this big fight with the leadership, and he drops this massive realization on the disciples about the future. And then we're going to see what Peter's problem is. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings. You just trash the leadership, but they're going to be dead in a few years. But we have this beautiful structure for new leadership to rise up in. Then he replied to them, don't you see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. If you were to think about the mission of God's son on the planet, things that you would put under the do not do list or do not desire list would probably be the destruction of the temple. Like that would probably be at the head of the Messiah's do not do list. Like, don't knock the temple down. Don't even talk about the temple being knocked down. Like, why would you do that? But here's Jesus saying, I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. The future gentlemen, looks bleak. The leadership are hypocrites, and the building is going to get knocked down. Now we have Peter's problem. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and so they went down the hill from Jerusalem up the valley on the other side from Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, which is facing Jerusalem, so that now they can see the temple that Jesus had just made this prophecy about. The disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Peter is kind of engaging, his disciples are engaging, and Peter is involved in this conversation like if you're going to hang out with the son of god it'd be kind of nice to know what the future has to hold and this is especially when he starts saying things like yeah the leadership is terrible and we're going to knock the temple down like where is this going exactly you're the son of god we've seen you do all these amazing miracles do something amazing for us and tell us when this age is going to be over tell us when this temple is going to get knocked down tell us when you're going to come into your kingdom because if you remember last week these guys have roles in the reign of Jesus Christ. They're going to be ruling over the nation of Israel. So they're intrinsically interested in their own future and the future of the stuff that Jesus is talking about. And so Peter's problem is, hey, Jesus, how about you tell us about the future? Because knowing the future or knowing about the future, well, that saves us pain. That saves us a certain level of distress, just like these church planters that I was talking to last week. One of the sessions that we had together was the landmines to avoid when you're starting a new church. There's just certain things that you need to have in mind when you're starting a new church that you need to be very, very careful about. And so the whole conversation was about the future. And I was the voice from the future saying, here's things to avoid or else you're going to wish that you had. Knowing about the future, Jesus telling his disciples about the future was Peter wanted to know. I want, to, I want to minimize pain. Like, this sounds like some terrible leadership transitions are going to be taking place. And really, there's only one reason that the temple will get knocked down, and that would be if Rome invades and knocks the temple down. And And I kind of want to not be here for that. I kind of want to avoid that. I want to let my friends and family know when that's going to happen so we can be on, on the Cape that day, right? And sure enough, in AD 70, the Romans came and knocked the temple down. So Jesus wasn't kidding about these prophecies or these words from the future so peter's problem was tell me about the future because i want to avoid stupid mistakes i want to avoid the pain of not knowing i need to know things about where this is going and you're talking about the future shed some light on this and so then there begins for the rest of the chapter this amazing discourse which is very some of it's kind of easy to understand and some of it's not because you know what Jesus is very clear about? He says you can't put the day or the hour on a calendar. There's a lot I can tell you about where things are going, and he does, and we're going to cover that briefly this morning. But I can't put the day on the calendar for you. And so ultimately, you know, as it might have felt to Peter and the apostles, and it probably does to us a little bit too, it's a little, mm, kind of wish we could get more specific about how long it's going to be before, The end of the world comes and and heaven is here and Jesus is honored and glorified for all to see. There's no day or there's no hour for that. But there are some things that he instructs his disciples to bear in mind as they live out the rest of their lives. And we'll see that it's germane for us as well. So continuing in the narrative, picking it up in Matthew chapter 24 in uh, verse 4. Then Jesus replied to them. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Basically, Jesus says, here's some things that are going to happen which are not going to be pleasant, but they're not the end of the world. And so it's a little bit helpful. And specifically, he mentions wars and rumors of wars, that there's going to be people who promise things that they can't deliver on because they aren't who they say they are. And he encourages his disciples with the understanding that there are certain things that feel like the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. Some of you, and and the whole tone of this conversation is kind of like this. Because he goes on to say some even more difficult things. It's, many of you have children who have recently graduated from either 8th grade or from 12th grade or now looking at college or now looking at high school. And at some point, your child is probably going to come to you with some questions about what is high school like. Or maybe they're going to go to one of their friends who has been in high school or in college and try to find out what college is like. If they do come to you, you know the kinds of things that you're going to say. You know that there are certain attitudes and behaviors and actions that will not do them well as they begin their high school career. You know that there are certain attitudes and behaviors and actions that will not serve them well as they go into college. Uh, There might might be some unrealistic expectations that you would straighten out. I'm going to try out for the baseball team. I'm going to try out for the track team. I'm going to try out for the band. I'm going to run for student office. And sweetie, you know what, I think you should try out for all of those things, but don't be terribly heartbroken if either you don't make all of those things or, you're, or, or you don't have time for all of those things. And so there's, you're, you're, you're putting a potential future out for them that is maybe a little less awesome than they had hoped for themselves. And this is kind of the nature or the tone of the entire conversation that Jesus is having. He goes on to tell them some very difficult things. Continuing in verse 9. And I don't believe these words are on the screen. You just follow along in your Bible or just listen as I read them. Then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. He's talking to his disciples now. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. He's talking about people who are people of faith at this point. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered or saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Then the rest of the chapter, he gets very specific about what's going to happen in Jerusalem when the Romans invade in AD 70, which they end up doing. But there are three things that Jesus communicates with his disciples in this brief passage here. By way of trying to help them understand and wrap their minds around their future. Because again, they want to know the future because they want to avoid pain. Help me to understand the new normal. And Jesus has three things to say to help the disciples understand that this is what your new normal looks like. The first idea that I want to share with you is that Jesus warns them that easy deliverance is deceptive. This is what he says about false teachers and false messiahs. That if someone comes to you telling that they telling you that you can either relieve a certain degree of pain easily or become a certain goal that you have in mind for yourself with hardly any effort at all that 's a false teacher that 's not how actual maturity happens you don 't plant the seed in the ground and then it springs up overnight, even gypsy moths need a few weeks to really destroy the trees and they 're fast acting so when it comes to maturity, this is a slow process and it comes through difficult. Times. And so, if someone comes to you with a new teaching or a new idea or, or, or a new thought and says you can be what you've always wanted to be in six easy payments of whatever over the next three weeks, that's a false teacher. Don't be deceived by that. There are a lot of false messiahs around. And, and I know we don't usually think of that term, but it's people who are promising us an idealized future for basically no price whatsoever. It's not true. They're motivated by something other than our good or our best. And so he warns them, be very leery of guys that, are, that tell you something that sounds too good to be true. Because honestly, there's something to be said for just growing slowly and patiently through difficult times. Easy deliverance. It's deceptive. He also says this, you don't have to be alarmed by rumors of wars or actual wars themselves. You should be alert, but don't be alarmed by as distressing as they are, as distressing as nation rising against nation is, you don't have to be alarmed by this, but you should be alert. Well, what does that look like exactly? Well, once upon a time, I desperately wanted to look into my own future because I was a quiet country kid from Preston. I I went to pre-K in Preston. I went to kindergarten in Preston. I did grades one through eight in Preston. I I knew the children that I graduated eighth grade with from the time that we were all three years old. I knew all of these students. We, we were a very stable group. And I knew all the schools, and I was very comfortable. And then, of course, I transitioned to the big school, to the Norwich Free Academy, which is unique even amongst high schools in that it has a collegiate-style campus. And so I desperately wanted to look into my future so that I could know Where do you find your classes here? I was just talking with someone recently who said, when it came time for me to choose a high school, I purposely did not choose NFA because if I wanted to go to college, I would have gone to college. But I just wanted to go to high school. I just wanted it to be in one building where I wouldn't be lost. And, of course, I had no idea what building held what classes at NFA. But thankfully, in the mail, before the freshman year began, a little white book with red print came, and it was called The Pilot. Any of you who have gone to NFA, you probably received one when you were there. Or if you're going to NFA in the fall, you're going to be getting one in the mail. And the pilot is your best friend because it tells you the campus map and what the different names of the buildings are. And you can begin, when you get your schedule, you can begin to mark out where your different classes are. And, of course, I desperately wanted this information. And so I viewed the pilot as my best friend and quickly began reading it. And had every intention of walking around campus with it for the first few days as I could find myself from building to building. Well, thankfully, I had a friend who had a big sister, and so she had already gotten a tour of the campus, and she already knew where the buildings were, and I told my friend what my plan was to walk around with this pilot so I wouldn't get lost for the first few days at NFA, and she said, "Oh dear God, no! That's how they know how to beat you up. The ones who pull out the pilot, those are the soft targets." No, 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 no. Here, come with me. Let's get together at some point during the summer, see if you can get a ride into town, and I will walk you through campus because you need to leave the pilot at home. And I'm like, I can't leave the pilot at home. It's a big enough step for me as it is going into this unknown future without having the pilot right in front of me. I'll at least keep it in my backpack. And she tried to convince me not to, but I did. I carried the pilot around that whole freshman year, but I kept it hid in my backpack. But because my friend had a sister who could show her the future, I was shown the future as well. Therefore I could walk on campus the first day and not be immediately picked out as a freshman. I could be alert, but I didn't have to be alarmed because I wasn't lost. Now I happened to weigh 90 pounds and be 4 foot 11, so that kind of probably marked me right from the get-go there, but I didn't have the little pilot book in front of me the whole time because a friend had taken mercy on me and had shown me the future. So I could start NFA with a certain degree of calmness. I could be alert, but I didn't have to be freaked out because I wasn't lost. And this is the whole point of why Jesus is sharing this information with his disciples. Be alert. Be wary. Watch out for false teachers. Understand that difficult times are going to come. Difficult times are going to go. But you don't have to be alarmed. And finally, after some very difficult teaching. It's confusing teaching. He's talking about the future. He's talking about things that have happened a number of times since the time that he gave this prophecy. And so there's a lot to study and a lot to understand here. And it's almost as if he knew how difficult what he was saying was going to be for his disciples because he wrapped up this teaching with five stories, five different at-length parables, illustrations, so that his disciples could begin to understand what he was telling them about the future and even as the seven woes to the leaders beginning the passage were about how they were hypocritical and they they did a great job looking a certain way but a terrible job acting the way that they're supposed to there is a common theme with these five parables these five stories that jesus wraps up matthew chapter 24 with by way of helping his disciples understand what they need to be doing in light of what he shares with them and it's very simply this the theme of these five parables is that now really matters. It's, it's, it's okay to think about the future and talk about the future and prepare for the future. It's not okay to be alarmed about the future. And it's not okay to be deceived about the future. There's no easy way out to whatever goal or maturity or where the church is heading. There's no easy way out. So understand these things. But he also says, and he illustrates it five different ways, now really matters. Because when now is over, it's over. And everything in eternity hinges on what we have and what we do with ourselves now. The religious leaders of the day were messing now up. Again, they were known for, he calls them, he says, you're you're, you're like an empty tomb. You're, You're whitewashed on the outside, but you're filled with decay on the inside. You're like a trap. You make it harder for people to enter the kingdom of heaven than you do easier. You cover heaven and earth in your efforts to make one disciple to follow me, but then you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Can you imagine saying that to somebody <laughs> yeah you train them for your job and now they're twice of a lousy worker as you are that's perfect like he really has some things to say but it's about being hypocritical because the pharisees and the sadducees and the religious leaders of the day were not understanding the importance of now of living by faith now of making decisions of faith now and of course, we've been looking over the past couple of months at what Peter had to say about this years down the road. And today is no different because Peter reflects on this teaching in his epistle. It's called 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through seven. I don't have these words up on the screen. It's a letter. I just want you to hear what Peter writes. This is about 30 or 40 years later. After this teaching, after they leave the Mount of Olives, then Jesus, of course, goes on to his death, burial, and resurrection. Peter becomes one of the founding members of the church. And then after years go by, he writes this while reflecting on this teaching about the future that Jesus gave as because we're in the point of the message. Now where we're starting to think about, well, okay, so where does that leave us? We understand that we shouldn't be alarmed. We should be alert that we shouldn't be deceived, that there's no easy path forward to spiritual maturity. There's no easy path forward as a planet and That now really matters. Okay, great. We get those things, but where does that leave us? Here's what Peter says as he has some friends who are wrestling with the same question. Peter writes, dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I I want to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. First, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, Where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. Through these waters, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. He's talking about Noah now. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. One of the things that Peter reflects on, and he says to his friends, as they're asking the same kinds of questions, tell us about the future. What future? What did Jesus tell you about the future? Because we're going through some hard stuff right now. The church that Peter was writing to was facing serious persecutions, and as we've identified, the whole theme of First and Second Peter is how to suffer well as a Christian because there's no such thing as false messiahs that actually work. The way forward is always going to require some difficulty. And this church was suffering. And I, 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 he says to them, scoffers are going to scoff. People are going to say that there's no point to your suffering. People are going to say that nothing ever changes. People are going to say that why do you even try live a life of faith because what is has always been and always will be jesus called them false teachers peter calls them scoffers and he tells his friends his friends who are going through a difficult time that scoffers are are gonna scoff if you remember jesus used this illustration when he was teaching about the future he said it's just the beginning of birth pains none of us as we valued our life would walk up to a pregnant woman and say yeah you're always going to be pregnant Always been pregnant, you're never going to have this baby, there's no end in sight. Why do you even bother about prenatal care? As we value our life, none of us would ever say that. Yet, that's the very illustration that Jesus uses to talk about time. It's like a pregnant woman, it's obvious. It starts out small and then it grows big, it gets more uncomfortable as it goes, and then there is a delivery or deliverance and great joy. And relief, and everyone understands that the pain of the time of labor, while we'll always look back on it and say, yeah, that was painful, look at the child, look at the baby, look at the delivery. And we know that there's great joy there because women have more babies, and now they know what they're getting into. This is how Jesus talks about time. You would never walk up to a pregnant woman and say, yeah, you're always going to be pregnant. Sorry for you, sweetie. We know that that's not how pregnancy works. This is how Peter and Jesus say this is not how time works. There was a beginning, and it came by water, and there's an end, and it's going to come by fire. And people who are not wise to this, people who are looking for an easy out through difficult times, are going to say that it's pointless to be anything other than what I am because there's no goal to this. There's no progression to this. That's a lie. It's a trap. It's not true. And it's a dangerous one. And so Peter warns his listeners. He says, scoffers are going to scoff. Well, that leaves us in a difficult place because we would all say that, man, it kind of feels like not a whole lot is changing. It kind of feels like it's been a long time since these promises were made. And again, we talked about this a little bit last week. But here's where the decision of faith needs to be made. And, And this is the first part of the application this morning. And I'm wrapping the sermon up so, guys, you can come back up on the platform. and help me conclude our time together this morning but here's the decision of faith and it has to do with time the decision of faith is regarding time is god being patient or is he being inattentive is god being patient with the time that he is allowing to proceed before he wraps things up and calls us home and deals with injustice ultimately forever or is he being inattentive is he not aware? Is he not awake? Is he asleep? Is he apathetic? Is he busy with other things? Does he not exist? This is the decision of faith. This is the point that we need to wrestle with this morning. Is the fact that so much time has gone by, is it because of God's patience, or is it due to his inattentiveness and his not caring? Well, Peter addresses this, and he answers it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Peter writes as he's wrapping up his letter. Because his friends had the same decision of faith that we have to make this morning. Is God being patient with us or is he simply being inattentive or possibly not even exist? Peter writes this. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation Peter says God is being patient and it is because he has an opportunity available to us for salvation and a life of maturity and joy that is simply not possible if we don't understand his patience so Peter says what did Peter do well we know that Peter followed we know that maybe he wasn't as happy with Jesus's answer about the future as he could have been because if you read through Matthew chapter 24, going to be persecuted and you're going to die. Understandably, Peter at that point could say, you know what? And I'm done following you. Because if that's your future for me, it'd be like going and getting a new job and saying, oh man, I I, you know tell me about my future here at the company. Yeah, I'm gonna fire you. And I'm gonna put it on social media and I'm gonna embarrass you. And then I'm gonna sue you for lost wages. Wow, I think I, I may not be in tomorrow. Understandably you might not accept that new position. Peter, however, had a, the depth of relationship with Jesus that even when he was confronted with the reality of his own martyrdom, he says, I will follow you. I will continue to follow you, even though it costs me my life. But also he understood that scoffers are going to scoff and you need to be patient. That God is being patient with us so that we draw close to him. He's not inattentive. He's not unresponsive so the question for us this morning as we wrap up our time together is if we choose to believe that if we choose to put our faith in that scriptural truth that god is being patient because he's being generous and desires us to seek him in salvation and christian maturity and life and peace and joy what would one step look like because honestly when you talk to your graduating eighth grader and paint a vision of college little overwhelming he doesn't even have a driver's license yet why would you be talking to him you know how much it costs to insure someone who's 18 years old we researched this recently because this is where we're at right 1,980 dollars a year for one person on one car can you imagine sharing that with your eighth grader you kill him dead he'll never have that kind of money. It never feels like he'll have that kind of money. It never feels like he's going to be 21 when his insurance rates drop down to $1,000 a year. And so we're not talking about massive, massive changes that we all know would be hard to sustain over the long haul. But what would it look like if we actually chose to believe that God is being patient with us because he wants us to take one step Take one step of faith for some of us that might look like praying to the Lord for the first time in a long time and, and saying you know, I've been distant from you but I want to be near you've been patient with me but I've been impatient with myself and every other person I know, you've been kind to me and I've been angry and, and I don't want to be that person anymore And so I want to turn from those things, I don't want to be known as someone who is defined by my own will and my own ways and my own sins I want to be defined by your ways and your power in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Because I see something in your word that I want for myself. And so for some of us, that one step of faith might be something like this. Heavenly Father, I, I understand that you've been patient with me, and I don't ask for your patience anymore because I'm making a decision of faith today. I'm sorry for the things that I should be sorry for. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he came to teach and to live and to give and to die so that we could have this conversation your son or as your daughter this morning that might be your step of faith some of us may not be ready for that some of us the step of faith might be you know what i need to spend more time researching what we talked about this morning because i've never heard this kind of stuff before i didn't know that jesus talked about the future and that it began with water and ends with fire and it really matters what we do with right now i need a better understanding of what god requires of me right now and maybe that will lead to a decision of faith what difference would it make in your marriage this morning Inspire patience with your spouse. What would it look like this morning if you made one small decision of faith regarding your finances, one small decision of faith with a, a new job or a new home or a position that you're taking? What those of you who are footloose and fancy free this summer, what would it look like if you made one small decision of faith this summer to do your devotions on your own without your mom and dad dragging you out of bed? Reminding that's the challenge this morning, and that's also the encouragement from the Apostle Peter. God is being us to know the end from the beginning, He's not asking us to be something that we aren't, but He is saying, "Take one step understanding God's patience for us." Would you join me as I pray as we wrap up our time together this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for Your words. Father, it feels like sometimes we would like to know when the end of the world is coming because then we could figure, "Okay, I only have so much longer; I can be nice for that long, or I can be a better person for that long." But Father, that information do what we have right now to honor and glorify you so father i pray that we would all be motivated and encouraged by your kind patience to understand that you are attentive and listening for us to make decisions of faith and as we make decisions of faith you are going to empower them with people you're going to empower them with encouragement you're going to empower them most importantly with the presence of your holy spirit father we